Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it to you, then we'll start unpacking it. Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now we're going to start off in verse 1 tonight. Look closely at how Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We're going to take some time now to deal with that. Now, before we get into the theology behind that, let me show you that actually this is a very common pattern of God. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. This is a passage of Scripture that I'm going to be preaching from uh, at First Baptist Coco this coming Sunday. If you're interested in coming, I don't want to take you from your home church. But if you're interested, I'm going to be teaching from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 at First Baptist Coco this coming Sunday. Look at what it says in verse 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. And know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. I'm not going to take the time to break this passage down. I'm just going to show you real quickly. God led Israel at the beginning of their time into the wilderness. When He brought them out of slavery in Egypt, He led them into the wilderness to be humbled, to be tested, and to learn to follow God's Word. That's what's in that passage. Again, listen closely because it's going to be important later on. God intentionally led Israel into the wilderness to humble them, to test them, and to have them learn how to listen to and follow the Word of God. Go back to Matthew chapter 4, and you'll see that Jesus, at the beginning of His ministry, was led where? Into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil. Many people have had an issue with God leading Jesus into temptation, but a careful study of Scripture will show us how it all comes together. First and foremost, God doesn't tempt anyone. You can double check me for the sake of time. I won't have you turn there. But in James chapter 1, verse 13, James 1, 13, it says, God tempts no one. God does not, he's not tempted by evil and he tempts nobody. But he does use Satan for his purposes. God does control, though, when Satan is allowed to tempt us. You're in Matthew 4. Jump over to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 13. In the template for prayer that Jesus gives, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's a, it's a template for prayer and how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, one of the things we're taught to pray is, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would God teach us to ask Him to not do something that He would never do? I mean, that's like God teaching us to ask Him, God, please don't lie. That's foolish, wouldn't it? Because can God lie? So he would never tell us to ask him to never lie, right? Because he can't lie. So if God is teaching us to pray to the Father and say, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, that helps us realize God may sometimes lead us into temptation. He doesn't tempt you. 
But he uses Satan for his purposes, and as Scripture teaches us, God sometimes, for his purposes, allows temptation in our life, and he uses Satan to do it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a very familiar passage, but I want you to look closely at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Look closely at what it says. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. First off, the Bible says that every temptation you go through, don't think you're the only one that struggles with it. It's common to man. Secondly, though, God won't allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. Let me say something real quick. Have you ever heard anybody say, God will never give you more than you can bear? You ever heard that? Well, the Bible doesn't say God will never give you more than you can bear. The Bible here says that God will never allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. But let me tell you, God will give you more than you can bear. Because everything is more than you can bear. If apart from Him we can do nothing, everything is more than you can bear. Too many people, we've gone around and, well, God will never give me more than I can bear. So I guess, no, he's going to give you a lot more than you can bear. Everything's more than you can bear. But he's done that so that we would turn to him in the midst of that. But the Bible does say he won't allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. And not only that, with the temptation, he'll provide a way to escape. Has anybody noticed God seems to be actively involved in your temptation? Go to Luke chapter 22. I'll show you a little bit more. Luke chapter 22, starting verse 31. Look at verses 31 through 34. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demand to have you, by the way, that word you is in the plural, talking about all the disciples, that he might sift you like wheat. Again, talking about all the disciples. But I have prayed for you, that you is singular. That's why some of your translations will say, I prayed for you, Simon. By the way, that third Simon's not in the original text. But it's put in to help clarify for some people that he was talking about Peter. He said, but I prayed for you that whatever that, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Of course, Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Satan demanded and Jesus said, yes. But I prayed for you. Some of your translations say Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. That's fine, too. Folks, listen closely. If the Bible says that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, God will allow you to go into temptation as well. That's why he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to ask him, Hey, Daddy, if it's okay with you, could you not do that? But if you say yes, you have a purpose, deliver me from the evil one. When temptation comes, you're not the only one going through it. It won't be more than you're able to bear by God's grace. And with it, he'll provide a way for you to escape. But the Bible's real clear. Don't be shocked by the fact that the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He had a purpose. Now, that purpose tonight, hopefully you'll be able to see it by the time we're done, is awesome. But we have to wait a little bit to get there. When God does allow the temptation, folks, the test... His purpose is to bring you closer to Him. What's Satan's purpose in the test? To draw you away from Him. Do you remember from Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph's brothers come and they say, now that Dad's died, um, please don't kill us. And Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Folks, listen closely. When you go through trials of various kinds, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, actually verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character hope, and hope doesn't bring us to shame. Folks, listen closely. When God allows stuff to happen in your life, because He said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I'm telling you these things so my peace will be in you and you will have peace in me. Folks, when trouble comes in your life, and it will, and God allows it, 
God's purpose is to have you come closer to him during that time. Satan's purpose, when he asks for permission to mess with you or to have that trial or that physical ailment or whatever issue that you're going with, dealing with that won't go away and seems to be getting worse. God's purpose is to draw you closer to him. Satan wants to use it to draw you away from him. The question is, where is your focus going to be when that trouble comes? Are you going to look at what Satan's trying to do? Or are you going to look to the Lord and his purposes for allowing it? You've been, many of you have been Christians for a long time. You probably can count on both hands people you know that at one time walked with God, but when trouble came, they walked away because God let them down. By the way, you do know the Bible says there's seed that falls on the rocky soil, and it springs up and sure fools us. We thought they were Christians, but when trouble came, they fall away because they have no root. They wither. Those of us who are truly in Christ, even though in our flesh we may be tempted to be mad at God and angry at God, deep down we can't be ultimately because we know who He is and we stick. We may wander for a season, but ultimately He is holding on to us. God's purpose is to bring you closer to Him. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Look at verses 10 through 17. Finally, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... Stand firm then, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and the helmet, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When we have a battle against Satan, which is a daily thing, by the way, Whose armor are we to take up? His purpose is that we would go to him and his faith, his righteousness, his truth, that we would rely on him and draw closer to him. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. And then he goes on and says, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to get to know him. And the only way you really get to know him is through the struggle and through the trial. God's purpose to allow what it is you're going through is to draw you closer to him. Satan's purpose is to draw you away. His purpose is to draw you closer to him. Go to Matthew chapter 26 real quick. Look at verses 26, sorry, 36 through 41. Matthew 26, 36 through 41. This is Jesus praying in the garden with his disciples right before the cross. And by the way, was Jesus being tempted and tested at this point? This was the heaviest of all of them. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Actually, some translations say, stay awake. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch. Again, stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When Jesus was going through his strongest trials, what did it cause Jesus to do? To go to the Father. To run to the Father. Too many of us, when we go through trials, I need my pastor. Run to Jesus. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. 
He's the one that's going to take care of you. The reason he's allowed it is to have you draw to him, to put on his armor, to go to his word, to go to him for your strength and your provision. He doesn't want you to go to man. Now, it's important that we as brothers and sisters encourage each other when we see each other going through stuff. Those who are mourning, we should mourn with them. But at the same time, our first thought should not be, I need to go talk to Sue. Our first thought should be, I need to go to Jesus. Go ahead, Mark. When it's the hardest to pray, pray the hardest. Yes. I read that one day and it's stuck in there. Yep. Again, you're going to see this in just a little bit. Satan desires to pull us all away from God. That's what the temptations are. But when God says yes and allows it, his purpose is to use it so that you'll grow closer. And actually, he has more in mind than just that, as you're going to see in a little bit. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Notice closely. It was after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights is when the tempter came to him. Let me just say this to you. Satan's going to come at you where, where and when you're the weakest. By the way, that's why it's important to put on the whole armor of God, not just some of it. I shared this with some people. Some of you may not know this. If you and I are going to compete in a sport, what I'm going to do is say, well, let's just do a couple of practice volleys. If we're playing ping pong, I'm going to just say to you, let's just hit the ball back and forth to get loose. I'm thinking, you're thinking that I just want to get loose. I'm not wanting to just get loose. When we hit a ball back and forth playing to get ready to play ping pong, I'm going to find out if you can't hit a backhand or if you can't hit a forehand. I'm going to find out where you're weak. I'm, I actually have a purpose for why I'm saying this warm up. If we're going to play basketball, I'm going to say, let's just shoot around for a little bit real quick, play a game of pig or something or horse. And, but I'm actually trying to find out, can you shoot with your left hand as well as your right? Can you shoot the inside shots better than the outside shots? I'm actually wanting to find out where you're weak. So that when the game starts in my warm up, I found out you don't like to hit the ping pong ball back with the backhand guess what I'm going to be doing? Satan knows where you're weak. You need to put on the whole armor of God. By the way, that's why when the Bible says, take the helmet of salvation, some of you spend too much time worrying about whether or not you're really saved. Anybody ever been through that struggle? I have. Buddy, he will mess with you in that area until you put that helmet on and cinch it on good and tight. He'll work you over in the areas that you're weak. But he'll not only work you in the areas that you're weak and attack you in the areas that you're weak, he'll come at you when you're at your weakest. And let me say something to you real quick. Some of the times that you're at your weakest is when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you're sick, when you're discouraged, and when you've just had a victory. Because right after a victory... You let your guard down. Be careful. Understand that you do not battle against flesh and blood, folks. Did you catch there in Ephesians 6 that we battle against? Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't think we even fathom how severe our enemy is. Way more than we can handle. But God has allowed him for his purposes to draw us to him. Oh, we're not going to deal with the 40 days and nights of fasting because in chapter 6, Jesus teaches on fasting. So we'll do our study about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. So you have between now and then to eat. All right? Actually, you're going to find out it's not all that we, you thought it was. But I also want you to, to point out to you, notice how Satan's attack on Jesus is to get him to rely on his deity. We're going somewhere with this now here, so stick with me. Notice how Satan's tactic is to get Jesus to rely on his deity and not to live out his role as a human. Look at what he says in verses 3 and verses 6. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones. Look at verse 6. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Listen closely. And this is going to be important for us because many of us have heard the teaching on Matthew chapter 4 and the three temptations of Jesus. And we've heard the preachers put them into three little simple, cute ways that Satan comes after us. I hope to blow that up tonight. I actually think all three temptations are the same. They have different aspects, but ultimately they're all the same temptation. 
just given to Jesus in a different form. You see, Satan knows that Jesus is coming to be the Savior of man. Satan knows that in order for Jesus to be the perfect sinless sacrifice, he has to not only be God, because only God can do what needs to be done, he also has to be human. But Jesus has to live his life on this earth when he came. He had to live it as a human. Was he God? Yes. But I'm going to show you from Scripture that the time that Jesus was on this earth, even though he was God, he did not use his godness. He totally submitted himself to the Father and lived from his humanity. He never lost his godhood. He was God the whole time. But as you're going to see from Scripture tonight, and as we take, break this all out from the temptations and what the Scriptures say about it, that Jesus, when he lived on the earth, lived just like you and I, as a human dependent on the Father. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 to start. We'll come back to this passage in a little bit. In Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 5 through 8. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want to share with you tonight some things God's been opening my eyes to about Jesus while he walked on the earth. Did Jesus walk on water? Did Jesus turn five loaves and two fish into more than enough to feed a multitude? Yes and no. It was the Father actually doing His works through Jesus. Because I want you to see from Scripture tonight that when Jesus lived on this earth, He emptied Himself. He still was God, but He didn't take His Godhood. He lived as a human and fulfilled the role of the sinless servant as a human, because human sinned, and a human had to be put to death for, for human sin. And Jesus didn't claim his equality with God. Satan's getting him in these temptations to cheat. If you are the Son of God, does Satan know if Jesus is the Son of God? Not only that, the demons knew. Remember when Jesus walked on the earth and the guy had the legion of demons? We know who you are, Jesus, the Son of God. Satan knew who he was. But Satan comes and says, if you're really the son of God, let's see it. By the way, you're going to see that come out in a lot of people in Jesus's life. If you're really the son of God, let's see it. Does that sound familiar? Did a few people maybe say that in different forms to Jesus while he walked on the earth? Satan knows that if he can get Jesus to do his life on the earth using his godness, he won't be the perfect sacrifice for man's sin because it has to be a human that lives sinless, not God who lives sinless. Do you understand? Go to Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, look at verses 5 through 16. The Hebrew writer says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. I love that. The Hebrew writer doesn't even know where this is. This is Psalm chapter uh, 8. It's been written somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect or complete through suffering. 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I'll sing your praise, and again I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil." And deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For it is surely not angels that Jesus helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." You remember James chapter 1, verse 13 that I started off with? How God cannot be tempted with evil and God tempts no one? Was Jesus tempted? Yes! But I thought God can't be tempted! Jesus, while on the earth, set aside His deity. He didn't lose it. It was with Him the whole time. But the temptations or Satan coming and saying, you don't have to do this as a human, you can cheat. Let me show you what I mean. Go to the first one. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of of God. Satan at this time is trying to tempt Jesus to not rely on the Father, but to meet his own needs on his own. Let me say that to you again, because Satan has tempted every single one of us with that same thing. He's wanting Jesus to not wait on the Father's provision for him, but to meet his own needs. Was Jesus capable of turning stones to bread? Of course he was. But Jesus' role is to come and be a human. Not to be human and God, live as a human sometimes, God is sometimes. He emptied himself and he took the role of a servant. When Jesus, this, by the way, this is going to be eye-opening for a lot of us. When Jesus walked on this earth, he lived it just like you and I can. In full submission to the Father and all the miracles that Jesus did were not Jesus performing them in his godhood to show off that he was God. It was Jesus relying on the Father by faith to do it through him. Jesus didn't do the miracles, the Father did. You say, where do you get that? Go to John chapter 14. And John chapter 14, look at verse 10. Jesus says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Do you see it? By the way, let me ask you a question. Um, are you in the Father and the Father's in you? Yes, if you're in Christ. In that day, John chapter 14, verse 20, you're going to realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father, Jesus says. Do you realize that the same things that Jesus did are capable of being done if it's the Father's plan and purposes in and through you and I right now as we walk in obedience to him? That's where we get scared. But Jesus more than once said, you can even do greater things than these. Did he not? Folks, let me just say something to you. We've always said, well, the reason he walked on the water is because he was God. No, he walked on the water because of the Father's power through him at that time. He was a human. He did not claim deity was something to be grasped. When he walked on the water is because the Father did it through him. It wasn't Jesus doing it himself. Go to John chapter 5. Look at verse 19. Peter walked on the water. Why did Peter walk on the water? Because he was God? No, because of the Father doing it through him. Exactly. John chapter 5, look at verse 19. Now, I'm not telling you to go step out of your boat tomorrow if you're going to go fishing. But let me just tell you, there's some truth to what we're talking about here. That there's a lot that God wants to do. 
but we're too busy trying to do it in our own strength. John chapter 5, look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that Him Himself is doing. And then He goes on and says, In greater works than these He'll show Him so that you may marvel. Jesus said, The Son doesn't do anything on His own authority. He only does what the Father has him do. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. This isn't in my notes, but this passage just jumped into my head. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to say something to you as lovingly as I can, but i got to be firm with you because sometimes the truth is the best thing for us. Many of you have been serving God for years in your own strength and you'll never be rewarded for it because it wasn't anything God did. You want to know how you have done it in your own strength? You ever gotten cranky? You ever gotten irritable while you did it? You ever thought, why aren't more people helping me? Why aren't more people working as hard as I am? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'm burnt out? Jesus said, many are going to say to me on that day, didn't we preach in your name? Didn't in your name we cast out demons? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Folks, let me just tell you, it's time we start really believing that what Jesus did while he was on the earth is possible for us today. We have to know how to listen to the Father, how to be led of the Spirit, how to walk in the Spirit's power, and to act when He says act. Did Jesus heal everybody? No. Only when the Father did it for His purposes. And like I've shared with you in the story before we started recording, and I could, man, I could spend the rest of the night telling you story upon story, the more I'm starting to realize, the less I plan my day, and the more I just plan to walk with God, the more I see God doing stuff. And He'll say, Say this, do that. And all of a sudden, God does things that blow our minds. Instead of me saying, I'm going to go do this for God today. Hmm. You know, Warren spoke today about doing everything to the glory of God and do it with all your heart. When you do something to the glory of God and do it with all your heart, you do it totally relying on God. Not as best as you can. You do it totally relying on God. So just, Satan comes to Jesus and says, yeah, there's no food here, but you can take care of it. And Jesus says, nope. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. And I've been given a role, and that was to be totally dependent on Him in my whole time here on this earth and to live as a human. I'm going to wait on Him to provide for me. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. But we've got to do something. Mm-mm. No. No. Then Satan takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Go to verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He'll command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus again said to him, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus could easily have proven who he was by some grand performance, could he not? Instead of submitting to the Father's plan of him first being the suffering servant. Well, not all of you answered that question when I said Jesus could have performed or done, proved who he was through his grand performance. Could Jesus have done something miraculous in his own power to prove that he was God? Of course he could have. I can show it to you. Go to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, look at verse 47 and following. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. 
And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I can appeal to my father and he'll at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that this must be so? Could Jesus have done some big miracle using his godhood? But even in this instance, he doesn't say, don't you think I could call the angels? How does Jesus say it? Don't you think I could ask my father and he could call the angels? Don't miss that, folks. Jesus doesn't even say, don't you think I could call the angels? Don't you think Jesus could call the angels? He made them. He could have called the angels, but he was so submitted to the Father in everything that he did when he walked on this earth, he even said, don't you think I could ask my Father and he could send angels? But that wouldn't fulfill the scriptures or the purposes that my Father have in mind and which you'll find out later on are for your best. Let it alone. Don't try to fix it, Peter. Don't try to fix it. Wait on God. In Matthew chapter 27, we won't for the sake of time go there. Jesus is on the cross. And as the people, well, actually, I want you to see it. Go to Matthew 27. Look at verses 36 and following, 36 through 43. Matthew 27, look at 36 and following. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. By the way, who's talking right now? Satan's talking through the people. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Even while he was on the cross, Satan was tempting him to the last minute to take his deity and use it for his own purposes. So why does Satan tell Jesus, turn these stones into bread? He wants him to act out of his deity instead of his humanity. Why does he take him to the pinnacle of the temple and say, hey, throw yourself down and everybody will believe because you won't die. He wants him to claim his deity and not live out of his humanity. Well, real quickly, by the way, did you all notice that Satan, when he tempted him this time, quoted scripture? Way out of context. But listen closely. We need to know the whole of Scripture or Satan will be able to trip us up with just a few twisted verses. Aren't there people right now who are twisted because of Satan's lies about the Scripture? There are people that walk around knocking on your door thinking they're following God when they're just taking a verse here and a verse there out of context. Folks, if you don't know the whole of the Scripture, you're going to be susceptible to the Satan's lies. The third temptation, by the way, you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse um, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, this third temptation on the surface appears to be no real temptation at all. I mean, Jesus would never be tempted to bow down to Satan, right? I mean, I mean, Jesus knows who Satan is. Uh, Jesus, in, our, in our thoughts, it's like, well, why would Jesus even be tempted to bow down to Satan? Well, this temptation is similar to all the others, folks. The real issue, again, is whether Jesus will submit himself to the Father's plan for his life, even though that means suffering and death. You see, Satan was the ruler of the world at that time. That's why Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world. John chapter 14, verse 30, you don't have to turn there. In John 14, 30, Jesus describes Satan as the ruler of this world. He had been given authority and dominion over the world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And Satan comes to him and says, you are here because you want to be king over this whole planet. And on top of that, you want these people to worship you and not me. Tell you what, you don't have to go to the cross in order to accomplish that. 
Just bow to me, and I'll give you everything. First off, if Jesus had, would Satan have ever let us go? No. Secondly, if Jesus had, we would have all been damned because he would have broken the first commandment, which is that you're not to bow down to any other God. And the moment Jesus sins once, he's no longer the perfect sacrifice for sin. And we're doomed. We're doomed. Now, would Jesus have lost his godhood if that had happened? No, he's still God. He could have still gone on and gone back to the throne. But everything that he had come for would have been lost. Satan is simply saying, you don't have to live like a human, you're God. By waiting for the Father's plan, Jesus made possible all mankind to be set free from Satan. And because of his obedience to the Father, the Father has now given all kingdoms and authority over Jesus. Because he waited, it's now all his. And we get to be a part of it. And we get to be a part of it. I think the scripture says it this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your holy and acceptable service, spiritual worship. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and to him and through him are all things? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about him, right? Yet, he chose to come down to this earth and lay aside his deity. He'd never stop being God. But he emptied himself of that. And he took the form of a servant. And he lived in this life just like a human would, yet without sin. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. And then he was able to go be that sinless sacrifice that the Father had planned before in the foundation of the world. And then when he rose from the dead, Satan was defeated. And with that, all the things that God wants are now his, including us. Let me just show you some scriptures that deal with that in the time that we have left. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. All of a sudden, a lot of these scriptures that we've known are all of a sudden going to take on a whole new light, hopefully. John chapter 12, look at verses 20 through 32. Actually, we'll start in verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now, Jesus says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. This is right before the cross. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus said, it's time. It's time, he said. And he said, when I do this and submit myself to the Father, Satan's going to be cast out at that time. He's going to be defeated. Now, go to Matthew chapter 28. Well, actually, we don't have to turn there because most of you can quote it. Verse 18, Jesus, right before he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What does he say in verse 18? All authority has been given to me. After he defeated Satan on the cross, all authority has been given to Jesus. Oh, by the way, don't, don't get too excited and take that to places a lot of Christians are trying to. Do you remember back in Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible said that he's 
made Jesus a little lower than the angels for a while and crowned him with glory and honor and placed everything under his feet, yet at present we don't yet see everything in subjection to him? Satan still allowed for a reason and for a season, God's purposes, to be, still be the prince of the power of the air. Even though he's been defeated, he's still alive and well. You understand what I'm saying? So there's a lot of Christians that say, well, I bind Satan and I have authority. No, no, no. Yes, all authority has been given to Jesus and we have a lot of authority because we're in Christ. But if Jesus is not exercising full authority, who do you think that you can exercise full authority yet? You only exercise the authority that the Father gives you for the season at the time for His purposes. And sometimes God allows the suffering to continue for His purposes. But Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. In Philippians chapter 2, go back to chapter 2. I told you we'd be going back there. Look at verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does Satan say? If you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all this. Jesus says, I'll wait. I'll wait. I love that. I've got a better deal. I've got a better deal. Yes, it's going to incur suffering at this, in this life. Yes, it's going to incur me being humble and waiting on the Father when I could try to take things into my own hands and do things in my own strength, but I'm going to wait on God. Folks, let me just tell you, that's an attitude that has been lost in the church today. The church today is teaching dominion theology and how you can name it and claim it, and the church today is sounding like Satan and not Jesus. You are the Son of God. If you have that authority, live in that authority, live in that power. Instead of humbling ourselves and being willing to say, Lord, if you choose to not take whatever this is away, I'll serve you. Because you've got a purpose. Paul prayed three times that God remove the thorn in his flesh. And God says, um, I have a reason and my grace will be sufficient. I'm not going to take it away. And Paul said, then bring it on then I'll embrace it because when I'm weak, you're strong and you get all the glory. Folks, I, I can look you in the eye and tell you right now, I'm going to be seeing my cancer doctor again in October. I don't know if the cancer comes back or not. It may. And I'll tell you now before we hear good news or bad news or whatever, I just call it news because honestly, if they say my cancer is back, that's good news too. I can look you in the eye and tell you whichever way he chooses to go, I'm good. I'm good. I trust him. And we'll go down that path when it comes. And if he says your cancer's free, we'll praise him. If he says it's back, we'll praise him. Because he only leads us into temptation to draw us closer to him. Go to Revelation chapter 11. This is the one. I love this one. Revelation chapter 11. Look at verses 15 through 18. This is at the end of the tribulation. Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Oh, by the way, what are they saying? At that time, all authority will be given. It's already been given, but we're going to see it, everything in subjection to him. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It may sound like the, the hallelujah chorus. That's where this came from. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. By the way, you'll notice it doesn't say in who is to come, because at that point, he's no longer is to come. He's come. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Well, let me ask you a question, folks. 
Um, is Jesus coming back? Now, why aren't we getting excited about that? Well, maybe it's because some of us are enjoying being little gods ourselves. I'll leave that one alone and let the Lord just finish that one. Saved, satisfied, and seated on the premises. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, that's not a good thing. Please notice that each time Jesus responds to Satan, he does so by focusing on God's word. In the time we have left, I'm going to hit this hard and fast. We started at 7.06 tonight instead of 7 o'clock, so I got about 10 minutes left. So stick with me here. I'm going to hit this hard and fast. I don't want you to miss that each time Jesus responds to Satan, he does so by focusing on God's word. Now, we've all heard this, but I don't think we truly grasp this. See, God has already given us more than enough ammunition in His Word for our battle against Satan. We need to know it and believe it. Don't, write, turn, don't turn there, but write down if you want Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus said to the Sadducees, you're in error because you do not know the Word of God nor the power of God. Folks, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. As I travel this country and I speak to Christians across this globe, and I'm speaking even to those who come to Bible studies on Tuesday nights. The Christian church today is biblically illiterate, and it's getting worse and worse. Many of us grew up and we heard the Bible stories and we knew the Bible stories. Kids today don't even know the Bible stories because mostly what they're getting in their churches is psychobabble and philosophy. But don't sit back and say, oh, yeah, those churches aren't preaching the Bible. Let me ask you a question. How well do you know the Word of God? We live in a country in which we've been blessed to have five or six on our shelves in our house of all different kinds of translations. But most of us get only our feeding from what somebody preaches or teaches us instead of feeding on our own. Jesus responded with the Word of God. How much ammunition do you have? Let me ask you this question. If you were to be put in prison tomorrow and the only scripture you had with what's already in your heart, how would you do? You'd be praying not to have Alzheimer's. <laughs> All right, listen closely, folks. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. You don't have to turn there. Write it down. Look again. That's where he tells us that a part of our armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Everything you need for your life. You've not only been given because God lives within you, you've been given in this book. And in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus said that everything that I've told you, the Holy Spirit's going to bring it to your remembrance. You just got to put it in. All you got to do is read it. Just read it and believe it. Read it and believe it. Read it and believe it. What about memorizing? Eh, don't worry about memorizing as much as just keep reading it and believing it. The Holy Spirit will bring it to your mind. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Go there real quick. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. By the way, could Jesus have spoken to Satan without quoting the Word of God? Of course, He is the Word. But He submitted Himself to the Father and relied on what had already been spoken by God. That was enough for Him to deal with Satan. Everything that you're dealing with is dealt with in this book. You just got to spend time reading it. It's so cool, though, as you do, God will take you to passages that speak right to whatever it is you're going through. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I love you, but I can't know what everybody's going on in their life. Everybody wants me to know what's going on in their life, and they want to tell me so that I can walk them through it. Folks, I love you, but I can't do that for everybody. I've tried, and I tried to be pastored to everybody, and counsel, and teach, and get involved in everybody's lives, and they wanted me to, and 
I loved the attention, but I ignored my wife and my kids. And actually, my walk with the Lord started to be hindered because I was trying to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And God said, Jim, send them to me. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so that we'll no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and every form of deceitful scheming. And we will all grow up into him who is the head, namely Jesus. Our job as pastors is to actually work ourselves out of a job to teach you how to feed and spend time in the Word so that you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and need us less. Look at this awesome passage God showed me that I never really had seen this before. I mean, I'd seen it, but I'd not seen it. Go to Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, look at verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to help him, to, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He said, we shouldn't live only for our own lives. We should live involved in the lives of the others. But what you need to do is point them to God and His Word. Everything that's been written has been written for us. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Folks, I'm not saying we shouldn't encourage one another. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for one another. I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved in each other's lives. But we need to be pointing each other to Jesus. Someone sent me a text today with a group of other people talking about how they were going through this struggle in their life. All I sent to them was, I'm praying for you. Thank you for sharing this with me. What's God saying? He's got a plan to walk you through this. Instead of you saying, well, I think you ought to. You remember how Jesus, when he was being baptized, the Father spoke. Remember when we did that a month ago when we were in Matthew 3? At Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And how we looked at the fact that he wasn't just talking, but he was quoting Scripture. God the Father, when he spoke audibly on the earth, who could just say whatever he wanted because he's God and everything he says is word and powerful and God word, you know, God breathed. He actually quoted his written word. Actually, you'll see that a bunch. When Jesus cleans the temple out in the last week of his ministry on earth, in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13, as he's whipping everybody and cleaning out the temple, he's actually quoting scripture. He quotes from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah chapter 7 when he says, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. He wasn't just stating the facts. He was also quoting two very promising Old Testament prophecies, one about the millennial kingdom, one about the destruction of Jerusalem because of their idolatry. You know, when I, I, I could go on, you know, in, in Luke 16 where... Lazarus and the rich man's story Jesus tells and the rich man's in Hades and he looks up and sees Abraham's bosom and he sees Lazarus and he says, hey, have him stick his finger in water and come cool my tongue. By the way, his attitude hadn't changed a whole lot, had it, even though he was in hell. And he said, no, there's a chasm between the two of us. There's no passing back and forth. And he said, okay, well, do, do this. Send Lazarus to go warn my brothers. Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They got the word of God. He said, no, Father Abraham, if someone were to come back from the dead, then they'd believe. And Abraham says, let me tell you something, bud. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe if they don't believe the word of God. But you know what we in the church today are looking for? The miraculous to get people's attention. We're looking for the spectacular to draw the crowds. We're actually saying, hey, why don't we do something pretty impressive so we can make the word of God more relevant today? We've just said the word of God was irrelevant. Folks, it's enough. If Jesus was able to handle Satan by just saying, 
hey, the scripture says this, and I'm sticking with that. That's all you need. That's all you need. Last thing I want to share with this. When Jesus rose from the dead, and he met with those two men on the road to Emmaus, all he did was show them the scriptures in verses 25 through 27. He said, um, don't you know that everything that just happened was written about and it had to take place because the scripture said? And then in verse 44, when he appears in that upper room with all the disciples there that night, he says, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Don't miss that. Jesus speaking to the New Testament church, if you will, and the ones who are about to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a few days, said to them, everything written about me in the law, first five books of the Bible, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, folks, um, Jesus sent the New Testament church to the Old Testament. What do we read if we read it at all? Just the New Testament. Let me just challenge you. Everything that you need for life and godliness has been written. And a lot of it, if not even most of it, is in the Old Testament. You don't know the Old Testament, you're going to be weak. Oh, and where's Satan going to come at you? Where you're weak. I can't wait to show you some more when we come back next week. But for tonight, my prayer is that we really start to believe that the Word of God is powerful enough and it doesn't need our help. I love you. We'll see you next week.